Truly, truly, the presence of the Lord is in this place. I have to agree with Pastor Barry. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. What a great, great morning we're having. And it's all because of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Yesterday, I made a little announcement online if you uh, would prepare for today. So any of you who caught it and you read 1 Timothy, you are prepared. And if you didn't hear that, this morning, I'm going to be in 1 Timothy, Paul's letter to Timothy, his first one. I'm going to be in the beginning. I'm going to be in the end. We heard a word this morning, too, just a little bit ago about wrestling and fighting and just lines right up with where we're going today. And uh, there, there has been, uh, I'll say, a little bit of a different kind of wrestling and uh, fighting. The men's softball team three-peated this year on Monday, so that was great. They took the championship. There's Brother Nate, your team did well. And I know you wrestled through the season. You fought through the season. I have uh, a little story about fights and wrestlings, and uh, I'm going to start off with it. And it's so great. It's so great when, you know, the Lord just lines things up. He, he just teed it up for us uh, earlier and without anyone really knowing that this was, this, this was what I wanted to begin with. Fights, arguments, wrestling. I grew up in a house with five older brothers. And I had two older sisters. Uh, and I had one younger brother. Now, you might just imagine this in your mind, a, a three-bedroom house with nine kids seven of them being boys. There could be a brawl from time to time. There could be a good knockdown, drag out. And let me tell you, in my house, there were some epic, epic battles. Some fights that uh, when we get together, sometimes as a family, uh, you know, they just, they live on in the, the lore of the family stories how you know, maybe one brother was duct taped to a basement post upside down uh, because, hey, you know, you get out of hand with an older brother, that, that, that's going to happen. And it wasn't uncommon in our household to hear these words, stop fighting, stop that. I'm not going to have to separate you two or you three or you four. And we were taught, fighting isn't good. Stop it. Don't do it. And it, hey, if your brothers are in a fight, break it up. And if you're involved at school and there's a fight, break it up. Don't, don't get involved unless you're going to break it up. Because fighting is wrong. Fighting is bad. And there's plenty, there is plenty in our Bible to back that up, right? And oh, my mother used to pull those types of scriptures out too. To, uh, and some of them were about parents disciplining because if there's another thing I'd hear my mother say, am I gonna have to get my stick? We did not wanna see mom's stick. She would break up a fight and 
That's, that was the tool she used. Because you know, train up a child in the way they should go. Don't, the Bible talks about disciplining a child and spare the rod, etc. Now she wasn't a beater. She didn't beat us, but uh, from time to time, you know, that had to come out. The Bible talks about discipline and how fighting isn't a, a good thing. The letter of James, for example, and I'm not going to read from the letter of James, but it's a great example about uh, life application. James gives all kinds of practical help in his uh, letter, but he touches on this topic of fighting. And in James chapter 4, there's a question, what causes fights among you? And if we think about it, we could probably come up with all kinds of reasons that we fight and we battle with others. James used a Greek military term when he said, what causes fights among you? And it was akin to a contentious type of battle, a contentious fight, a war. What causes these kinds of bitter contentions uh, between people? And James gave the answer. He said, fights, uh, they come from desiring what you don't have, from jealousy, from being proud. And uh, James wrote that eliminating this type of fighting, it it comes by humbling one's self, uh, submitting to God, resisting the devil. Well, it's tough to do when you got five older brothers kind of pounding on you, right? You're not going to humble yourself. (laughs) Uh, And that's why our, our parents would say, stop it, stop it. And James said, stop it. Humble yourself, submit to God, resist the devil, resist those uh, proud urges, desiring to have what someone else has. You know, Jesus offered similar advice. He said, if somebody strikes you on the cheek, give to them the other cheek. That's the famous line, turn the other cheek. And of course, that takes humility, doesn't it? If somebody wrongs you and you Take to heart the words of Jesus to stand down after getting smacked. That takes some humility. And then to even turn the other cheek, be wronged again. And Jesus is saying, don't respond. Don't respond by engaging yourself in that fight. The general principle is fighting is wrong. Yet there are times And we heard one of those times this morning about staying in a a fight. It was a positive context. We heard an an encouraging word this morning to to wrestle in a sense, in prayer, in seeking God. There are times when a, a fight too, a fight here in the natural, it can't be avoided. Most of us have likely experienced something like that, where we would say, that fight could not be averted. It was a fight that was right. A stand had to be taken, and you had to enter the fray. These times do occur. Uh, although Jesus said, turn the other cheek, and this was the, this was the, the general uh, approach, the general rule, humble yourself. Yet one time Jesus saw God's temple being turned into a prophet center. 
where the sacrifices were being sold uh, for, for profit. And Jesus, he scattered the sheep and he scattered the, the cattle that were there to be sold as sacrifices and he turned over the tables of uh, the money changers. The Gospel of John says Jesus took cords and he made a whip and he was chasing those animals away. Sometimes the fight is right. And, and even Jesus exemplified that. So this morning... We're going to consider such a fight, a fight that is right, a fight that we would remain engaged in. On a couple of occasions in his writing, Paul the Apostle wrote of a good fight. Now, what's a good fight? What's a good fight but a fight that we ought to be engaged in? So we're going to consider this good fight, the fight that we should be involved in. The first occasion that the Apostle Paul wrote about a good fight, it was in his letter to his friend Timothy, his first letter to Timothy. And let's get a little background in Paul's letter that that led to this writing about the good fight. And let's start the background by just reading the opening lines of the letter. So, 1 Timothy chapter 1, I want to read verses 1 through 4. They read, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you, When I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. We read about faith two times there in those opening lines. And we learn also that Timothy was in the city of Ephesus. Paul left him there in Ephesus, asked him to stay there. A little bit about Ephesus in the first century. Ephesus was a Greek port city. Uh, It was on the Aegean Sea, and that's on the western shores of modern-day Turkey. In the first century, when Timothy was in Ephesus, the city was under Roman rule. It was part of the Roman Empire. It was a Greek city. The, the Romans had uh, occupied, taken over. The, the Greek Empire had fallen. The Romans were in charge. And they had made Ephesus a prosperous city. The Roman Emperor, Caesar Augustus, did a lot of building in that city and a lot of rebuilding in that city. There was a large stadium, there was a library, a hospital. There were aqueducts. There there was all the modern amenities of the time. Ephesus was a flourishing city of commerce. Uh, From the port, there were all kinds of imports and exports. Goods flowed in, goods flowed out. And on land, Ephesus was on this trade route that was called the Silk Road. 
Lots of commerce on that. So this was a bustling, modern city. It was prosperous. It was wealthy. In the Roman Empire, which was the superpower of the world at the time, Ephesus was said to be second only to Rome. So really, it's the second most prosperous and wealthy and powerful city in the entire uh, empire. People traveled from all parts of the world uh, for the festivals in Ephesus because at the center of the Ephesian culture was their temple. And the temple was one of the seven wonders of the ancient modern world. It was a stunning temple to the fertility uh, goddess called Artemis. Uh, In Roman uh, culture, they called that goddess Diana. This was a major part of the city's culture, and people would travel from all parts of the world to be involved in the cult rituals and the festivals at the temple, which included music and dancing that was uh, very sexual in nature. So imagine the church there, the fledgling church in this, in this culture that's uh, just very licentious, hedonistic. And the church and the culture, they were diametrically opposed. And, and some of the, the pagan culture of Ephesus, believe it or not, it was ebbing into the church. It really sounds very familiar. The false doctrines, the, the myths, which were, as the Apostle Paul wrote, they were in opposition to the advancement of God's kingdom and God's work, which Paul plainly wrote, God's work is by faith. So there was the culture, there was all the the works of the flesh, and then the church by faith. This is the beginning of the letter to Timothy. Then throughout this letter, Paul instructed Timothy on what he should be teaching. He instructed him how to established church leaders. He also encouraged Timothy in his faith. It seemed that Timothy's faith needed some encouragement. How was his faith? When you read the entire letter to Timothy, it reveals Timothy's faith seemed to be being challenged. The the opening lines there, Paul is urging him, command and end to false doctrines and teachings that are myths. Why would he be telling him to command this unless it had worked its way into the church and it wasn't being confronted as it should? So Paul opens it and says, Timothy, I want you to to bring this to an end. And he went on and he alluded to Timothy's faith needing to be strengthened. Never give up. Never give up. In essence, this is what Paul's writing to Timothy. As he progressed through the letter, he wrote, Timothy, devote yourself to prayer. Don't give up. Again, we heard this this morning. This is the, this is the type of wrestling or fight to not stop on. He said, Timothy, devote yourself to prayer. Some are going to abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits. So there's deception. There are lies. Don't have anything to do with this, Paul wrote. 
He said, devote yourself to reading of scripture, preaching and teaching. Again, why would he be writing these things unless, unless Timothy was somewhat waning on these things? He wrote, Timothy, set a good example for others. And he also wrote, which we've talked about a good number of times earlier this year, Timothy, do not neglect the gift that you received when the elders laid hands on you and prayed over you. It seems Timothy's faith was being opposed and oppressed by the false teachings, the myths, the culture pushing its way in, the deceptions, the lies. He may have been neglecting the gifts that God had given him. So Paul directed him back to prayer. Get back to prayer. Get back to reading God's word. And as he brought the letter to a close, so we started with the first verses in chapter one. I've just given you a thumbnail of the letter. We get to the end, chapter six. As Paul brings it to a close, he alludes to the wealth of the city. Again, this was a wealthy city. And Paul wrote, there are some who are trying to use godliness or the church teaching false doctrines. They're trying to use this for financial gain. Some are attempting to use their spiritual teaching and their purported godliness to get rich. Paul wrote, these teachers are spreading lies. They're conceited. They have a corrupt mind and they're robbed of the truth. They're discontented. He said, Timothy, godliness with contentment's great gain. These who are trying to seek riches through the gospel, they're discontented, lusting after wealth, desiring to get rich, which the apostle warned Timothy. People who do this, they have wandered from the faith. They brought themselves many, many griefs. And then Paul wrote this. Again, he's bringing the letter to a close, and he wrote this. This is 1 Timothy chapter 6, right near the end of the letter. It's the last chapter, verses 11 and 12. But you, but you, Timothy, man of God, flee from all of this. Flee from all that he had written in the letter about the deceptions, the lies, and especially what he had just wrote, trying to make some kind of riches off of what you're doing spiritually. You, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So Timothy, flee discontentment. Flee from desiring all of the wealth of the culture. Flee from using the gospel for illicit gains and to become rich. Fight the good fight. This is the fight to never give up. Fight the good fight of the faith. And the type of fight that Paul wrote about, the word that he used, it was entirely different than what James used. When James asked the question, why are there fights among you? James used the, this military term that was, that was connected to confrontations that were contentious. 
But Paul used an altogether different Greek term, even though it translates fight. It was a different kind of fight. Paul used a term taken from the Greek sports world. The core meaning of that term was to contend for a prize. Struggle for victory in the games. And like I mentioned at the open, the the softball team, a team of people, it wasn't a contentious battle to eliminate others. It It was a competition in sports, a contest. And this is the type of word Paul was using, like an athletic contest or the chariot races. And though the term is rendered fight in this passage of Scripture, it's in a positive way, something that's worthwhile to contend for, a worthy struggle that's aiming towards a goal, it's aiming towards a prize, it's aiming towards a reward. This word in the Greek, it came to be used for things that one might contend for in life. So it was borrowed and it was used as metaphors for life. And we say the same things about fights. Sometimes we might say, fight for your marriage. That's not a bad fight. Fight to keep your job. Again, it's a positive context. Fight to a right or wrong. These are worthwhile endeavors, worthwhile fights. Paul used this word from an athletic competition that had the connotation of a worthwhile, it's a worthy effort, and it's aimed towards a prize, it's aimed toward a reward. And now he associated it with Timothy having a worthy uh, fight, contending for a prize. Timothy's faith, this was what was connected to this. Timothy, fight this good fight the good fight of the faith. It's a noble pursuit. It's an honorable endeavor. We've been reminded the past several Sundays of what our faith in Jesus Christ is all about. Making a declaration, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Deciding in your heart never to waver. Don't cross that line in the sand. Don't waver from the word of God. Be obedient to his word even when it doesn't make sense in our mortal minds. Live faith this way. The just live their faith that way. And that commitment to live our faith, to serve the Lord, to stand firmly on his word and to abide obediently by the truth of his word. Let me tell you, it's going to be opposed. You're standing on God's word, someone will oppose it. Truth, holiness, righteousness, they've been opposed since the first man and woman walked this earth. They were tempted to be disobedient. They acted on their temptation and they sinned against God. There is a power of opposition against the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The enemy, the enemy. The word of God says that great dragon, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, he seeks to set the whole world astray. In Timothy's time, uh, when Paul wrote to him, he was living in this, this great city, the second best city in the whole empire. It was rich, it was corrupt in the government, it was licentious. Uh, this, again, it, it was in the superpower of the world. And all of that, all of that culture, doesn't it sound familiar? I mean, we can, we can relate 
to what Timothy's faith was being confronted with. And it was a culture that was affecting Timothy's faith. We can relate because it may have affected our own faith, the culture that we're living in. It's it's pressed on us and pressed on us. It's caused people to step off the pages of truth, the pages of scripture. But Paul, he warned Timothy, flee from this, flee from this, this pull of riches, flee from the deceptions and the lies and the false teaching. And this is part of fighting the good fight, to flee, to flee the immorality that the culture has defined as moral because the culture has redefined it. The culture has redefined morality to be good. The culture has redefined wrong to be right. And to to flee from that, that takes the decisive effort. It takes a conscious, deliberate, intentional choice combined with action. Yeah, we could say we made the choice, but if you don't act on it, it's not really gonna do anything. It takes the deliberate, intentional choice combined with action and energy and strength to contend against a godless culture and never ever give up to contend against this godless culture that opposes everything and anything that is godly. This is the good fight of faith. And it's the fight that we are in in this 21st century, modern-day North American culture. And it's the, it's the same kind of culture that Timothy was in. So we can take the word that was given to Timothy and we can apply it directly to our life. Our culture continues to redefine the boundaries of morality. And like it crept in the church of Ephesus, it's creeping into Christianity. It's creeping into Christianity today. You know, sexual truth has been turned upside down. There are two genders, and they're called male and female. And let me tell you, that's the hard fact of settled science. I don't know about you, but I learned about chromosomes in ninth grade biology. And you know, they told me this defines male and female. I thought that was settled science. But now we're told it isn't settled science. That, that the definition of male and female, well, that's not hard and fast. It's fluid. There's no such thing as binary male and female. You know, that's just a lie. It's a lie. And you know what God's truth says? The word of God says this. And it's Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. That's the opening of the, the Bible. And guess what? It's true. It's true. There's truth in the Bible. You know, in that, same, in that same first book of the Bible, it says things like God caused Adam to sleep so that he could take a rib out of him. And people may have laughed at that years ago. Oh, sure, God put him to sleep. How do you get an operation now? You get put to sleep. God knew about it. His truth was there from from letter one in the book of Genesis. And he said he created them male and female. And that's truth. And guess what? It aligns with settled science, no matter how the culture wants to redefine science. And you know, the culture has also redefined killing of an unborn child. They call it health care. And they call it reproductive freedom. Well, I don't know. Killing a child to me is just killing And some have even made a biblical case to say it's right. I heard this just a couple days ago. 
Well, the Bible and faith are all about choice. This was from someone who calls himself a reverend. The Bible's all about choice. So, of course, God is pro-choice. Well, let me tell you, if God is pro-choice, I know what his choice is. And his choice is life. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 and 20, they say this. Now, choose life. All right, we could stop right there. Choose life so that you and your children may live. Okay, there's a little bit of expounding there. So that you and your children, and I'll add, your unborn children may live. And that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. But the culture pushes against this. And they push, oh, well, it, 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 social justice, we got to have social justice. But it's their version of social justice. I'm all about what's right and wrong, of course. And so is the word of God. So is our Jesus who taught things like turn the other cheek. Of course, he was about justice and right. But the social justice of the, the culture is, hey, anything goes. And you got to accept it. And if you don't accept it, well, you're just unjust. You are not seeking justice if you don't accept what we say should be accepted. You know, it's socially unjust to say it's wrong for a man dressed as a woman to be teaching children or for the drag queens to be reading children's stories and stories about being a drag queen. Oh, well, you're unjust. It's an injustice to do that. It's socially unjust for, for a man to say, well, my pronouns are redefined. Don't call me he. And if, if, you, if you say, well, gee, I, I don't understand that and I won't do it, you are unjust. It's wrong. It's an injustice to insist that marriage is between a biological man and a biological woman, period. It's unjust to say that nowadays. You know, if you say that a man and a woman, that's the only way marriage should be, well, you're narrow-minded, you're narrow-minded and you're exclusive and you're unkind and you're hurtful to others and you're dismissive of their views, but it's the truth. It's the truth and it's being opposed by the deception of the culture and Christians and churches, they've not just acquiesced to this. Some of them have embraced this They've let the culture in, and they've just wrapped their arms around it. And Paul warned Timothy against this, and he warned him throughout that letter because it seemed Timothy might have been ebbing toward that way, but he said, Timothy, come on out of that. Man of God, flee from all of this. And that warning stands for every single one of us today. And that's the fight we need to be fighting. Flee from the world around us that's redefining truth. And that's a fight and a battle that's a good fight. Fleeing takes conviction and it takes intention and effort. And it's a, that's an element of this good fight of the faith. Never give up. Never give up on that. Never compromise that. What does your faith in Christ mean? If you're no different than the world around you, what does it mean that you say, I'm a follower of Jesus and all you do is follow after everything in the culture? Well, what does it mean? What, what, you can say you're a Christian all day long, but if, if you're not really truly following the truth, what does it mean? What does confessing that Jesus died? He died on a cross for your sin, and you've confessed that. What does it mean if you continue to embrace the lies of the world as truth? What, what does it mean? 
Paul was direct with Timothy. He called living that way, departing from the faith. And that's just a few verses forward from what I read. It's, it's chapter six, verse 21. You're doing that, you are departing from the faith. Keeping the faith requires contending against those who oppose the faith. Those uh, who are, I'll just say, against and opposed to Jesus Christ. Because that's the stumbling block. Jesus is the stumbling block. The good fight of faith is taking hold of Jesus. And Paul said it's taking hold of eternal life. And eternal life comes only through the cross of Jesus Christ. And Paul said to Timothy, take hold of eternal life to which you were called. When you made your good confession in front of many witnesses, your confession about Jesus, your profession of faith, That's what Paul wrote to Timothy. Take hold of eternal life. That's your profession of faith in Christ. Yeah, Timothy was born again. He was was saved. He had professed faith in Jesus. He had the assurance of eternal life. Yet the apostle wrote to him, take hold of eternal life. Had he not done it? Had he not taken hold of eternal life? No, no, I don't think that's the case. I think he was waning a little bit. He was maybe leaning toward some of this culture. The culture had had ebbed its way in and his hold on eternal life, it was getting strained. And Paul's reminding him, take hold of eternal life. Your eternal life in Jesus is not just a one-time profession. You know, you might have come to an altar, kneeled down, prayed a prayer, asked Jesus into your life, said you were repenting, but that's not a one-time experience. It's an everyday experience. It's an every-hour experience. It's an every-minute experience. And this is what Paul was writing to Timothy. Take hold of that eternal life because it seems your grip might be getting a little weak on it. Take hold of it and, and pursue it every single day, every single minute, every single hour. You know, you can choose to relax. We could all choose to relax our hold on eternal life and submit to the world and the culture and all that it calls truth. Or we could fight the good fight of faith and we could profess Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, every single day, every single moment with the same conviction, with the same confidence that we did the first day we made that confession. And this is what Paul is trying to impress on Timothy. Come on, man. You made that confession in front of many witnesses. I know you were confident. You were bold that day. What happened to it? Take hold of eternal life right now. Let's be relentless with that to take hold of eternal life. Every believer who's made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ has got to fight that good fight to keep a hold on your eternal life and always be professing your faith in Jesus Christ, especially when some come to tell you you're foolish. Oh, what's that bloody cross got to do with life? Well, you can tell them, you can let them know, and you can do it in a, in a kind way. The fight is a real But it's not a fight that's contentious. It's not a fight that's vengeful. It's not a war focused on annihilating others. It isn't. Paul wrote, flee all of this junk of the culture. This is what he's telling Timothy, and really we can receive it ourselves. Flee from that and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. Hey, this is how we fight the battle. This is how we fight the good fight. It's, it's righteous. It's godly. It's with faith and love. The good fight with the eye on the prize of eternal life. 
is, is a contending by enduring with gentleness, not with, like, hey, I'm going to annihilate them and snuff them all out. No, no. We never give up on this. Never give up on righteousness and godliness, holiness, faith and love and gentleness and endurance. We don't, we don't contend with our, uh, for our faith in order to hide it from the world, do we? We don't contend for our faith and fight for it so we can cloister ourselves and hide. No, no, we come against the world to openly share the good news of Jesus, the good news that he forgave sins by giving his life on the cross. Yes, some need that explained. And that comes through love and gentleness. And we can talk to people about how they can acquire eternal life the same way that we did. And we're not gonna win any to eternal life by being combative, by being antagonistic, by looking just to eliminate them. No, no, we can stay faithful to the truth. We can hold firm to what is right while showing love and gentleness and righteousness and humility. This is not the way of the world. It isn't. It might stun some that we wouldn't seek to just battle them the way they want to battle, but we would do it with love and gentleness and, and righteousness. We sung a line today. I don't know if, you, if, it, if you pick up on it at all, but it said loving the world. What does that mean? We're singing about loving the world. I just told you the culture and the world are, are something to Avoid, it's full of lies and deception. Well, the line in the song doesn't mean loving the world in, in the context of embracing all the deception and the lies. No, it's loving the, the world that's full of souls that need Jesus Christ, just like your soul needed Jesus Christ. Not loving uh, the ways of the world, but loving the souls that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And offering that gospel to them with love and gentleness and righteousness. So, you, you know, in this battle, in this fight, set aside. Get rid of the social media rants. You, you don't have to be out there ranting on social media about all the things that are happening. Put away the name-calling, the memes, the belittling of all those who peddle the culture. We know who they are. You know, who's peddling the wrong ways? But if we engage in belittling, name-calling, rants, there's going to be no winning them over to Jesus Christ. And I know there are times to overturn the tables. Yeah, there are. Jesus did that, as I mentioned earlier. Those are the exceptions. Let's fight the good fight of faith in Jesus Christ. Take hold of eternal life every day, every moment. Endure with righteousness and godliness and spread your faith. Spread your faith in Jesus Christ with love and kindly. Exude the heart of Jesus and share the truth that's gonna overcome all the lies of the culture. To win a soul out of the culture win a soul out of the world, to win a soul out of darkness into everlasting life. Fight the good fight of faith. Who's with me this morning? Who?
Let's stand and pray as we bring our service to a close. And I just want to encourage you, like Paul encouraged Timothy, if your faith's getting pulled by anything out there in the culture, fight this good fight and never give up. Never. If you've compromised somewhere, you know it. You know where you might be walking two lines, stepping across that proverbial line in the sand. The good fight is standing on the truth, staying on the rock. Let's pray. Lord, for all in this sanctuary, for all joining us online, God, we're all tempted. We're all pulled, all of us, to, to acquiesce, to say, oh, that's okay. That's all right. And when it wavers from the truth, when it is not the truth, when it's accepting a lie, when it's being uh, taken in by deception, Lord, I just pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would quicken our hearts, that you bring to our mind the truth, the word of truth, and help us to be as Paul wrote to Timothy, ones who would flee from the corruption and the immorality, but would embrace another with love and gentleness and kindness, exuding Jesus to win that person to Christ so that they see eternal life and the need to follow Christ. Lord, I just pray for every single one of us. Help us, Lord. Help us in that fight as we leave here today. If, if we're confronted, if we're in any way, shape, or form, a lie in front of us. Help us, Lord, not to respond harshly, but as the apostle wrote, pursuing righteousness and godliness. Help us all in that, God. Help us all in that. Thank you for your word. Keep us people that would stand on the rock of Jesus Christ and his truth. God, just burn it into us. Burn it into us, I pray. And I thank you for it, Lord. Bless your people with it as they go in Jesus' holy and his precious name. Amen. Amen. If you need any uh, prayer, if you want the elders to anoint you with oil, they're always here at the end of a service, and you can avail yourself to them. God bless you this morning as you go.